Naylor's Natter the Book Ideas and Advice from the Collective Wisdom of Teachers Naylor's Natter brings together a wealth of advice from the most influential voices in education today. In this exciting one-of-a-kind book, Phil Naylor revisits the very best interviews from three years of education podcasting, drawing on the advice and opinions from some of the world's most innovative educators. Available now for pre-order from Amazon and out on July 7th, 2022. Naylor's Natter, just talking to teachers. Talking to teachers about academic research and evidence-based practice with continuing professional development at PNA1977 on Twitter. Naylor's Natter, just talking to teachers. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, listener, and welcome to the latest episode of Nailers Natter. Now, this one is one that I'm particularly excited to do. So today's guest is John McGee, and John has been on my radar to speak to for a long, long time. And we're going to get into how our paths have crossed, not actually physically, but virtually and in areas in terms of where we grew up, where we currently reside, and the schools in which we work. But listeners, you'll know a lot about John from Kindness Matters and from his book, which we'll be talking about later on, won't we, as well, uh, which is Kindness Matters, the book. But we're going to delve into a bit of a freestyle interview today. So normally, as you'll know, we go through and we talk about education books and we talk about the people that have written the books and kind of the key content there. But John and I just thought, we're just going to have a good natter, aren't we, John? So a formal welcome, John, to Naylor's Natter. Thank you very much. It's great to finally be here. It's only what's it took us <laughs> over a year, maybe? Oh, easily. 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 And again, listener, I have to apologize. It's entirely my fault. Um, just never quite worked, but we're here. We're in half term. And actually, you know, we, we live so close to each other, John, don't we? We could have shouted out of each other's window, couldn't we, rather than do this virtually? But uh, yeah. I'm glad you're here. Thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate it. And we're going to get into the questions now. So the first question is going to be, and it's different to what we normally ask is, I'm going to ask you a little bit about your kind of story growing up. So I know that from accents, and listeners will be loving this today, won't they? Two East Lancashire accents on the same podcast. So tell listeners a little bit about you growing up, your kind of story and your influences. Flipping it, how long have we got on this podcast? As long as you need. <laughs> oh, dearie me. I, I don't, well, ask me the question again. Go on, because it's, 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 it always brings up a lot of emotion, this. But go on, mm. what is the question again? Just run it by me again. So just talk to us a little bit about growing up. Uh, I think I'll, I'll do it from a point of view where, you know, in key stage three and four or a staffing set, I will I will go into the talk, warts and all, skeletons out the closet, and I'll just share with them. Um, I, I'll just big chunk it. So I'll talk about domestic violence, how dad was a good guy, but in, in drink he was a very violent and abusive guy. You know, the impact... Of that that had on her, us, me and my sister, you know, and then the neglect, you know, we were very neglected. So my mum did the best that she could. It wasn't conscious for me, mum. Then I talk about sister going into the care system. Uh, me by the skin of my teeth, you know, they come sniffing around social services. It took my sister off me. So I talk about everything I've ever loved was took from me. So dad was gone, you know. Tell me one lad that doesn't look up to his dad as a role model. You know, we all look up to our dads, don't we? So dad was gone. Then my sister went into care. 
And then my mum fell in love with her, with my stepdad, who was a lovely gentleman. Now, we're Irish descent. We're very proud of our heritage. Um, uh, my stepdad, Tommy, was totally opposite to my dad. As most people will know about Irish people, and I can say this, <laughs> and I'll challenge any Irish descent or Irish person to <laughs> say that I'm wrong. We don't like a pint of Guinness. We like a barrel. So we like to have the crack. And we like to have a belly full. And there's always singing and having the crack and having the banter. And my, st my stepdad was the opposite of my dad. He was very chilled out, you know. And even me and my mum had a spat. There were never really any violence. He'd just, he'd just walk out of the house and go to the pub. But the consequences of when my mum fell in love was I was left to my own devices on the estate. Now, I grew up on a council estate called Highercroft. Highercroft was one of the biggest council estates in Europe. I've done lots of research on it. And like most council estates, whether it's South Shore, Bootle, Toxteth, you know, Cheatham Hill, you know, all these type of council estates up and down the country, there tends to be high levels of social deprivation. And where there's high levels of social deprivation, there's a lot of crime. And kids from a very young age are groomed. And I was exploited from a very young age when I look back now. I didn't think I was being exploited because all I wanted to be was loved because I didn't have my dad there. So when I smashed a window or I, you know, did some antisocial behaviour, I got a pat on the back from the gang members on the estate. So all my role models, they robbed cars, they did burglaries, they did robberies. They were always kicking off with police. And it's what I teach kids in high school. It's, you know, one of my AQA accredited programmes. It's called Monkey See, Monkey Do. And I teach kids they've always got a choice. Is that nobody's born a bad person. And that we're all kind. When you strip it all back, we're all kind. It's, it's, we're hardwired to be kind. It's just social conditioning and, you know, all behaviours learnt behaviour. And, and that's what happened to me. So I just ended up on that path then. Um, I didn't value education looking back now, which I do now, obviously, because <laughs> I teach so much of it, teacher conferences, schools, kids, you name it. I eat, breathe and sleep it. Um, so the consequences of that, I got kicked out of school. I didn't get any GCSEs. They sent me to a pupil referral unit. I wouldn't go there. And then it just spiralled out of control. I started taking and taking and selling drugs, got in trouble with the police. And to the point I was looking at three years in jail. And just one day I just thought, what's happening here? And then heroin come on the scene. And in the late 80s after the party scene, like all the raves uh, and illegal raves, sadly lots of friends started to die from heroin. And I was scared to death of heroin. I don't know if you remember... Um, Phil, the, the, the Grain Jill thing, they just say no, the Zamo thing. Yeah, yeah well, I Definitely. wrote a lesson plan on it called The Power of No, which I teach key stage two kids, getting them ready for the transition, because I know what's coming once they get to high school under peer pressure. And we do it with fun, you know, using the power of no. And, and sadly, you know, I always remembered Zamo and my stepbrother telling me about heroin and how dangerous it was. So it frightened me. So I never took heroin, but sadly my sister did. And the consequences is she died at a very young age. And I, me and my mum took on a daughter, who's now my daughter, who's, you know, 28, but she was four months at the time. Um, and it, 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 was a, it was a Christian family, actually, that came on the estate. It was really kind to me. And I had a choice. It was jail or going to a local church. I, I chose the church. I, I didn't at the time get all the happy clapping. I did agree with the teachings of Jesus and compassion and, you know, charity and, supporting the local community and treating people how you want to be treated yourself. And this sort of opened me up to a different way of seeing the world when I look back now. And don't get me wrong, um, I'm, I'm not, you know, 
banging from any religious drum because I, I like all religions. That that actually took me on a path of studying. If I was at school and I was a teacher, I think I'd be a. I don't think I know. I'd be a religious an RE teacher, hundred percent. I'm fascinated. There's a teacher called Mr. Button Aspire Academy, and every week I go in. I can't wait. He lets me share his classroom, and the conversations we have and the debates about religion. And he's a Muslim, and I said I'm open to all faiths, and he's blown away by how much I know about you know Hinduism, Buddhism. Christianity, Islam. So, sorry, I wasn't going off on a tangent there. So the consequences are I started to take this different path in life. And then, you know, I, I started to get into education. I went and got some uh, MBQs. And, and then that's where I talk about when I speak in schools, how my first half of my life was very, um, very colourful, <laughs> shall we say, very colourful background but then I talk about the aspirations about, you know, believing in yourself. And, and that's just where I am now, pal. That's where I am now. Nailers, Natter, just talking to teachers. Just on, so on that, in terms of the journey, I mean, what an inspirational journey that is in terms of, you know, how you've taken those experiences, got that empathy and being able to then kind of use that moving forward. So you said that kind of the turning point was, you know, obviously um, getting involved in, um, with, with a religious family and they started to kind of you know open your eyes to to different paths in life so tell us a little bit about that so going from you know Highercroft, going from the estate going from crime going through drugs going through all this kind of thing into a kind of a religious family how did you kind of then revisit education what kind of qualifications did you take and what was that that set you on this journey to being you know the inspirational speaker the author the presenter the you know the educator that you are now yeah, well, I, I clearly remember that I was very, always very self-conscious of my writing, my handwriting, because I had the consequences of not finishing my education was um, I, I didn't know my, you know, my spag or or anything like that. And I, I, it become a very, I, I, I hid it. I didn't like it. And I, I remember going to Blackman College and, you know, getting on a course. And uh, I always looked up to my cousin who was a joiner. And, you know, and there was a youth worker and there were these Christian people all saying that, you know, your past doesn't equal your future. You know, they're just called limiting beliefs. And, and I ended up doing a parachute jump for charity and I jumped out of this plane. And I think just something happened that day. I thought, right, if I've been telling myself I'm scared of eyes and I've just jumped out of a plane, what else have I been telling myself that's not true? I started asking myself. So what I did is I, I became a rebel within myself. I started challenging every limiting belief. And I started to uncover that every belief that I had that was holding me back was a lie. Yeah, so I started to challenge these limiting beliefs. My apologies to all your listeners. Um, and then that just took me on this remarkable thing. I remember going to fill out this application and the lady was really helpful. I said, look, I'm really a bit, you know, a bit paranoid about my handwriting. She went, don't worry about it. I'll fill out your application for you. So I went to college and I wanted to be like my cousin because my cousin was a joiner. And he had no dad like me. And he grew up on Johnson Street, which was another challenging council estate in the centre of Blackburn. And I just thought, well, if my cousin Lee, my cousin, my cousin Lee could do it, I can do it. So I got on a course at college. I did my level one and level two, and I started doing joinery. Uh, and then there was another blip in the road. Just as I started doing that, um, a bit of peer pressure come in, and I bumped into another one of my friends. And I sort of had a, a little bit of a wobble. Um, but then it was from that I got a thirst and a hunger just for, just for working, just feeling like I was somebody, you know, and then I landed, out of all things, I ended up landing a job at uh, Lancashire Evening Telegraph, 
Um, and then that's where the journey just, I, I don't even know how that happened. It just happened. At, oh, I do remember because my girlfriend at the time was expecting our first child. And she said, look, John, I'm not having none of this dodgy business. You get in a job or me and the kid are off. And I was like, you can't tell me what to do, babe. And she went, can I not? I went, all right, babe, I'll get a job. <laughs> and I remember being stood at job centre and there were no, all the jobs for um, qualified joiners. You needed to have your level three, which was like equivalent of two A levels. And I'd finished at my level two. I'd not done the third year. Um, and just a friend coming to the job centre, Debbie, Debbie Blades came in and she said, look, there's jobs going at the Telegraph. And I said, look, I need to get a job. Donna's going mad. She's pecking my head. <laughs> she went, well, you know, if you get down, I remember running through Cathedral Grounds in Blackburn and yeah. meeting this lady called Stephanie Matthews. She went, look, jobs have gone. I said, please just give me this opportunity. Please, I, I, I promise you, I'll be the best employee you've ever got. And it was from then, that's when my, if you will, aspirations, um, wanting to do something positive with my life, because um, I'd sit in the Telegraph, I'd open up the Telegraph and down the right-hand side of the page, I'd see names I know up in court, you know, up in court for robbing a car, up in court for kneeling a car stereo, stealing a car stereo, and I just thought, I ain't going back to that. And then it just started there, really. It's an amazing story, and you've talked a lot about, you know, the influence and you're naming people there. What a great memory, John, by the way, that you can remember all of these different people that have kind of had an influence on you on the way, and their kindness has kind of led to to kind of where you are or where you're up to today. So talk to us a little bit about kindness then now, because obviously, you know, the listener will know a lot about you from the book, from your talks, from your online presence as well, and from things you do at presentation. So tell a little bit about when did kindness kind of start to matter to you? I think it was. it's always been there. Even now when I go back to my old estate and I talk to people on the estate and, you know, they look up to me with so much respect because they remember where I was and where I'm at now. And I'm no different. I'm still a human being. I think it was always there. I think it goes back to that monkey see, monkey do, doesn't it, when you grow up in one of these environments. You do silly things, and you just don't think of the consequences. I do, you know, my parents was always kind. My mum was kind. My dad was kind. Um, so I think it was always there. And it's, this is what I talk about, cultivating your kindness, because we all perceive and receive uh, kindness in our own way and I, I, I truly believe that every single person is a kind person so I started to cultivate it I would say I think it started in about 2000 and what was it let me think of the telegraph when was Millie going 2001 2001 it started my best friend come back from China Ming Fu he owned a Chinese restaurant on Preston New Road and at the time one of our friend's sisters was diagnosed with terminal cancer. She was only 36 at the time, Michelle, uh, Paddy's sister. And we all got together. I said, right, I work at the Telegraph. What about if we put on an event at your restaurant? You know, you'll get lots of, you know, lots of sales. I work at Telegraph. I'll get all the free advertising. And we got a lady who'd suffered breast cancer, Ruth Loft, at the Telegraph, which I kick myself now because I forgot some of these names to put in the book. And if Bloomsbury... <laughs> um, if we do a new version, I've got to get the names in because I feel really guilty. I forgot to put Tracy's name in and I forgot to put Ruth's name in, but I'd never wrote a book before. You know, I was just doing my best. So we put on this event and I couldn't believe it. People kept coming up to me saying, do you know what, John, you're a really good speaker. We've loved this event. You'd be good at this. You need to do this full time. Have you ever thought about, you know, being like a, what do they call them things, like a boxing compare or something? And I was like, yeah. I was like, whatever. Anyway, I've raised £5,000 
for breakthrough breast cancer. I got my name on a plaque and I met Prince Charles, his PA. I've still not been to London with my kids and I keep saying every year I'm going to go one day. But something happened that day, Phil. Something happened. It was like there was a spark. And I thought, it was like all them limiting beliefs, they just, they just fell away. They just melted away. I thought, I'm not a bad person. I'm not what society calls me, which is a criminal or an ex-con or a scruff from a council estate. I'm not. I'm a human being. And my life has value. And I want to go and add value to other people's lives with my kindness. So it started then. It started. Um, and I just got big into charity work. Any angle I could get in to help anybody with my greatest currency, which is my time, I was in. And I gave it 100%. And it, that's how it started. It's amazing. And then in terms of the book, so we are going to talk about that, John. And it's really good to hear you know, um, dare I say this, and I, I will cut this if you're offended by this description, but it's great to see working class northern voices being given book contracts by big publishers like Bloomsbury, isn't it? I mean, how amazing is that? I know we talk a lot about, you know, diversity of voice and things like that, and I know you're very passionate about that as well, but it's nice to hear, you know, because I mean, I've got the book at school, John, you know this, I, I messaged you last week, you know, we've been reading the book at school and it's propped up behind me on my Zoom calls uh, and Teams meetings. Uh, so I've got Kindness Matters is behind me. Not today, because obviously I'm at home. But it's your narrative voice speaks to me completely. Because you think that, you know, you can... See, well, obviously, I can imagine myself in those situations because, you know, I didn't grow up too far from there, you know, on the the the, uh, the mean streets of Clayton. So, you know, I know exactly what kind of things you're talking about uh, down in there. But just talk to us about how did that book come about? Was that a result of your kind of work with The Telegraph? Was that through your charity work? How did the book come about and then what was the process of writing that like? Because you've obviously been open about the fact that you, know, you, you, didn't, you didn't flourish academically, particularly in your struggle with writing. So how did you become you know, a best-selling and, kind of just say, listener, superbly reviewed author? The, the reviews on your book are amazing, aren't they? Yeah, thanks, Phil. You know, it's really, really kind. It's, it's a combination, really. You said it before. When I look back now, I call it connecting the dots. And I've got a list in my on an app on my phone, and I, I keep connecting dots. You know, when I look back, names, people, where this dot has took me in another direction, which is connected to another dot. Um, I, I think if I go back on the dots, the first dot was Amanda Meachin, Chief Executive Community and Business Partner. She gave me my first big talk, uh, Inspiring Communities, in 2009, 2010. That dot brought me onto meeting um, Prince William, that dot brought me on to then speaking all around the country. That dot then connected me with Joe Watson, who was the head of education at Blackburn Rovers Football Club, who then said to me, um, you could write an accredited programme here, you know, PSHE. And I was like, PSHE? And I said, what about? What about? And she said, your life experiences. So that dot connected me to David Dunn, who was then Premiership Footballer, bagging goals left, right and centre. I said to David, David, why don't you and I create a mentoring pack to get disengaged youths who are going to get kicked out of mainstream education and keep in education and we'll use football as a carrot. So then we started taking them out of schools, Darwin Vale and all these other schools in Blackburn, Platgate High School, Our Lady in St. John. <clears throat> we started with Key Stage 3 with a transition so that we could get through to them about these limiting beliefs, this social conditioning, you know, uh, all behaviours, learnt behaviour. So I started writing these lesson plans. First programme was called the Wise Multi Programme for Key Stage 2, Stroke 3. Then I wrote the Chapters Programme saying about, you know, different chapters in your life. 
Then I wrote the Invest in the Best program, and it started to make a massive impact in these kids' lives. And never in my wildest dreams, when Joe Watson said to me, I want to send you pack off to AQA. Now, listen to how innocent I was. I went, who are AQA? (laughs) She went, I love you, John. She said, you're so creative. She said, your grammar and and punctuation's crap. She went, but I'll never stop you for your creative ideas. So she sent it off and it got the program got accredited. So you can imagine when I started going into high schools going, oh, got this accredited, but all oh, this way, Mr. McGee. So it started from there. And then I wrote one lesson plan and it was called Rayoc. So what is Rayoc? Random acts of kindness. And I created four areas. Now at this time, I was speaking all around East Lancashire. I was speaking Black, Blackpool, Preston, Blackburn, Aki and Burnley. And I chose one school in each area and I got funded by the police crime commissioner to go into each area. And I went into each school and I said, I want you to give me the toughest kids who are going to get kicked out of school, the flagging up, they're going to get sent to Peru. And I started to work with them over a full year, academic year. And believe you me, fellow, I had to do some driving and running around. Yeah. And I started to analyse the behaviour and the language patterns. And at this time, I was doing my NLP training. I devoted my life to NLP. I'm very proud to say I'm an NLP trainer and I'm still coached and mentored by my good friend Chris Grimsley from NLP in the Northwest. And Chris took me under his wing, started to teach me where behaviour came from. So I started to take it out to the kids and teach them that nobody's born a bad person. So what I did, I said to the kids, right, I'm going to set a 30-day challenge because I started to study about how we form habits. And I'd learned this from a great book by the late, great Dr. Stephen Covey. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, where he talks about habits and how we form habits. And I started thinking, right, if I can get in younger with these kids and show them how they form habits, what if I could get them to form better habits so that they're focusing on the dopamine, so the feeling they get, the reward response when they do something good. So when they leave a lesson, I just say, even if you don't get on with teacher, (laughs) turn around and say, do you know what, sir? That was a top English lesson, that. I said, they might look at you like you've got two heads. But just say it and don't be sarcastic and we'll evaluate it next week. And then when they come back, I showed them a model, a model I developed called the mood meter. One's like really sad, 10's fantastic and it was colour-coded and I'd said to them, it's what they call a third position. So it's non-confrontational. It's indirect. So I'd say, Phil, how did that make you feel? Tell me on moody meter. So I'd take it away from Phil pointed at the moody meter so it's non-confrontational and it's indirect so the child relates to the emotional intelligence from the mood meter oh well it put me on a seven sir i felt amazing even girls in class were saying what have you had for breakfast and some said what have you been smoking it got the banter and it got the rapport but i started to see a pattern it wasn't just in aki academy it wasn't just in unity blackpool it wasn't just in darwin vale it wasn't just in Broughton High School. It wasn't in UTC Bolton. I started to see this pattern with the kids. So I shared it with Joe Watson. She said, do you know something? You've got a book here. I said, have I? She went, yeah, we're not going to write a book on your life. We're going to write a book on what you're good at. And I said, what's that? She went, kindness. She went, John, you've got them. You've got through to them that kindness matters, that they're not bad kids. She went, keep collecting the stories every week. So that's what I started doing. Every week, the kids would share a story. And then they started to tell me, they were telling the parents, you know, and it was just heartwarming, all these things they were doing. And it was from that that I developed these four areas, which is now six. And it was just 
they had to focus on school, family, friends, and a massive push on the community. Because you know kids are like sometimes going to and from school in uniform. They forget they're in uniform, that the silly things, you know, throw a bag of chips or a wall, you know, you know, grob on a fence, whatever. But they don't realise the impacts, you know, um, it's having on them and the wider community. And it was from them that's where the book started to um, be born. Mm. And that's a huge section, John, isn't it? I mean, obviously you're passionate about the community that you come from, the community that you live in now. And, you know, a lot of the schools that you were talking about there, and, you know, I don't want to say that they're all serving disadvantaged communities, but, you know, obviously, you know, you've worked with us, haven't you? And we're on on 75% people premium. You know, and that's uh, quite a startling fact for listeners to, to kind of appreciate that. But the reason I mention it there is in terms of that community, because a lot of schools like that really do serve our community. You know, the kids at our school, the kids at the schools that you're talking about, they walk to school, they live across the road, they go to the local shop, they, you know, they're involved in the gym down the road. So actually what you've talked about in the book there about kindness and how you represent yourself as a massive reflection on themselves their families, the schools, everything else. And, you know, that was a really powerful section of the book, I thought, about that kind of importance of community. Because it's, you know, there'll be other schools, and I've worked in those schools, where you get on a bus and you go five miles away, don't you? And you live in some um, potentially idyllic countryside retreat, don't you, somewhere? And it's, it's different, isn't it? I'm yeah. saying the community doesn't matter there, but it's different. But in terms of the schools you're talking about and schools that listeners might be interested in, you know, community is hugely, hugely important. It's massive. It's massive. And it's, you know, it's what we say um, at Blackpool. And, I've, you know, we, when I was working, still working in partnership with Unity, Unity High School, and it's all about unity in the community. You know, Unity Academy, through school, over a thousand kids in that school. It was our first kindness academy in Blackpool. Mm-hmm. Stephen Cook, the head, is just fantastic head. Him and all his SLT and all his staff, absolutely amazing. You know, very similar setup to yourself, Phil, you know, um, your school and a lot of schools throughout Blackpool. Um but we had a big push on, you know, supporting the local community. And it was great, you know, in my consultancy, you know, when Chris Lickis, Assistant Chief Executive FCAT, brought me in. I came in for a year. <laughs> I'm still there 10 years later. They won't let me off the lead. Obviously, I can't, I can't commit as much now, but I'll still be a big uh, ambassador for the school. Um, but, yeah, one of the great pushes we had at Unity with all the SLT and, and the staff was, you know, engaging with the families. You know, and that is the unity in the communities. Get, you know, get the families on board, you know, get rid of that uh, us against them and them against us mentality. And, you know, and, and I've had a big push on that nationally now on our mailing list and working with our kindness matters schools throughout the UK, predominantly in in our primary a lot because, you know, that they're going to make that transition, aren't they, that automatic transition. So we get it right in primary and then it does transition up to, up to high school. And um, I'm actually been booked to go up to Rotherham and uh, the head there has asked me if I'll speak, if I'll do like a community event, share a little bit of my backstory. And one of the outcomes will be talking to the parents saying, look, you know, we're all in this together. We're all sporks on a wheel. You know, there's no difference from the head teacher to the caretaker, from the caretaker to me or you. There's no us against them and no them against us. We all want the best for our kids. And we all want to give them the best start in life. And it starts here in primary so we need to work together. We're all extended family. And like any family, we'll have our ups and downs. <laughs> nobody knows. Nobody presses your buttons better than your family. So if you feel the schools pressing your buttons, just remember, that happens in every family. <laughs> and it does, doesn't it, Phil? Oh, it does. Oh, it does. 
especially on half term, John. Well, oh, that's what... <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> it's early days, yeah. It's early days, yeah. It's all, it's all calm over here so far. Right, just in terms of uh, a tenuous link to community, I mean, let's talk about your work on social media, John, because, you know, for the listener, John absolutely embodies and lives what he talks about in terms of kindness because you only have to look at his interactions with me. I mean, I've let him down three times. I've changed the time of this morning twice. You know, I've done all these things and he still comes back to me with, anything for you pal no problem pal whatever you need and, and he's a very very busy man so just talk to us a little bit about how you've kind of cultivated those positive online experiences because i mean i had a, i had checked it out the other day john you're huge aren't you on instagram i mean i've got yeah. i've got about three followers of which two are my family um but you know you really have cultivated a positive thing and you know social media for everybody can't you know it's not always positive is it but you've really tried to kind of get that kindness coming through the communities that you're involved with on social media haven't you yeah, I think it's that personal touch. You know, I've grown organically. You know, you can, back in the day, 10 years ago, when I was trying to learn how social media works and you could buy all these different companies. And, and I had a fantastic personal assistant based out in the Philippines, Leslie Menance, and she was lovely. And she was answering all my DMs, but it, it didn't have that personal touch. And we tried it for a year and it did okay. But what happens is, is that personal touch. And during COVID, I had to sort of move away a little bit from Instagram. And I felt really bad because I got so many DMs, people saying, where are you, John? Because I was on my story every day and I had to come away because I didn't realise that Twitter had so many educators on it, so many teachers. And then before I know it, I've got hundreds of decision makers, you know, head teachers and SLT who say, look, this guy's doing a lot of good in schools. So next thing you know, I'm doing staff training via Zoom. I'm, 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 I'm saying to you know, to teaching staff, doing a full day staffing set on Zoom saying, look, I'm winging it, but let's fake it till we make it, yeah? We're doing it with good intentions. So we were all learning from each other because as educators and teachers, we've been thrown in deep end to expect to know how to operate IT and Zoom. Uh, but we did it, didn't we, Phil? Look at this, we're having this conversation. Now we did it and it's that's that's progress. It's there, isn't it? It proves the progress when you just keep chipping away at something. So I had to move away from the Instagram community a little bit to focus on my Twitter tribe, which I do. And I've created this fantastic um, community of teachers now on Twitter uh, who've become our kindness matters schools. And it's been great working remotely and seeing the impact um, my work is having on these schools. But I can't do it without, you know, it's that old saying, isn't it? Your vibe attracts your tribe. You know, and some mm. people go, oh, 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 kindness, that big, oh, yeah, right. Listen, data, Ofsted's coming in. Well, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. <laughs> kill Ofsted, just kill them with kindness. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, <laughs> with kindness. So it's like I've seen and I continue to see so many schools be transformed with kindness, 100%. So for me to be recognised as the UK school's ambassador for kindness is a huge honour and a huge privilege. And when I do fantastic podcasts like people like yourself, Phil, it's an honour to me that someone like your good self wants to speak to me and just share this safe space. And listen, Phil, if only one person is inspired by us having a bit of a natter, job done. And that's the same with education. We said, don't we? If you only save one life, that's it. But we don't. We save so many so many more. It's that ripple effect, isn't it? So for me, it's about organic, 
growth, being your authentic self. And I love it when people come to me and say, they get a little bit taken back when they see me saying, yeah, I'll do that podcast. They think that there's big, this big ring fence around me. Don't get me <laughs> wrong, I do have an agent. I do yeah. have an agent um, mm. who's the same agent as Carl Fogarty. Carl's a bit more up there than myself, if there isn't up there. And he's taking care of my publishing stuff now because I need that now because I've worked hard to get to that stage. But I love nothing more than being of service. I live to give, Phil. I live to give. It, it brings immense joy to me to be in a position every single day to inspire and motivate people in education to understand the many psychological and emotional benefits from practicing kindness each day. It brings me immense joy. It really does. I can, I can see that. And like I said, I mean, I never come away, John, from one of these conversations being anything less than inspired, but particularly so today. Um, because I mean, listen, if you, if we've got the video clips for this, we've got John's and his Zen Den as well, which is just, I mean, how good is this? Talking to teachers about educational books, why we love them and how we use them in our classrooms with guest authors, publishers, podcasters, and of course, teachers. So that's my affirmation. Most people know my happy tank training. I'm a big fan of affirmations. I back it up with the science of NLP, how our thoughts trigger our feelings and how our feelings trigger our behavior. It's a pattern in the Mercedes model. It works that time every time. So you get to choose your own thoughts. So choose the good ones. That's what I say. Choose the good ones. Definitely. And in terms of what you said about real people, so I mean that that's something that, you know, I never thought for a minute, John, and just linking your stories together. So you said if one person listens, that's a good thing because you never know what impact it's gonna have on someone's life or career, or whatever it is. And that's so true. I can give you a couple of very simple concrete examples so we did some staff training the other week and um sarah who's one of assistant eds at at, uh, at our school she's fantastic john absolutely fantastic and she put so much effort into doing training sessions and we think we had about 17 people turn up to the training session and you know she, people are a little bit disappointed sarah wasn't but other people are thinking well 17 people is it really worth all those hours and hours of effort but one of those people was a, was in charge of salford's TSLs across the board. So as a result of Sarah's um, session that she did, she then and has now done training across the board to all these different schools right across Salford. So, I mean, you just never know wow. having one person listening. And this is the thing about the podcast, you know, I mean, and just linking back to the real people thing. You know, I rang up somebody last week to have a chat with them about potentially going on the podcast and they were nervous, John. Because when I spoke to them, they thought, oh, I listen to your voice all the time and it's really strange. I was like, uh, yeah, I'm just a teacher from, you know, <laughs> just a teacher from Blackpool. I'm not any different to anybody else just because we have a few people listening to our podcast. And it is, it's, it's it comes through in what in your writing, particularly your narrative voice will speak to people. 100% it will speak to people. 100%. And my good friend and teacher, coach, Chris Grimsley, who I love to bits, still speak to Chris on a regular basis. He's my uh, supervision because I, you know, I, I'd have to deal with a lot of um, meetings and mentoring SLT, and we have some serious safeguarding stuff going on, and mm-hmm. other conversations that have to be had. So I need that supervision. And Chris, Chris has many sayings, just like I have my monkey see, monkey do, or we're not looking for perfection, we're looking for progress. But one of Chris's favourites is, um, "You never know how far a change will go," and that's that's us. Phil, you know what I mean? Don't get caught up in the numbers. I don't care if I had 200 million on Instagram or if I had 20. If one person, if it impacts one person, game on. I don't get caught up in the numbers. 
I don't get caught up in the numbers because I know it's the kindness ripple. It's it's there. Just throw a throw a pebble in a pond and watch the ripples. And that is the same with your kind, you know, thoughts, your words, your deeds. It, it it's a part of nature. I don't mean to go philosophical. It does pay it forward when somebody does something kind to you. So someone says, Phil, you know, you're doing a really good job. They give you that compliment. You think, you know what, it made me feel really good. It put me on a 10-up mood meter. I'm going to say something like that to somebody else, and I'm going to pay it forward. And that's the change that we want to see in the world. Because, you know, you never know how far a change will go. And you don't need to know. You, we don't need to know. Just do it with good intentions. Listen, you know, um, I don't. I very rarely swear. But I, I just, and it's not a big swear word, but I've just got to say, and you can blank this out if you want, nobody likes an arsehole, yeah? But everybody likes a bit of kindness, mm. <laughs> yeah? Just just be kind. It's that simple. You know what I mean? Give people a piece of your heart rather than a piece of your mind, and you won't go wrong in this world. Love that. And the Love real that. test is being kind to unkind people, isn't it? Let's be honest. That's the real test. I mean, anybody can give you, anybody can give both barrels. Mm. Anybody. Anybody. But we've got to remember as educators and teachers that we are role models, every single one of us. Those kids model our behavior. It's a huge responsibility. It's Spider Man stuff. With great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> Bloody hell, Phil, I'm digging them all out today. You really are. <laughs> This is the, this is going to be the clip. This is definitely going to be the one. This is going to be the, the preview clip. John just talks in absolute wisdom flowing from him this morning. Superb. <laughs> right, John, I'm just conscious because obviously, you know, you're an extremely busy man and you've got lots of things on and we're just going to wrap things up if we can. So just if we can signpost listeners a little bit to your Twitter, your Instagram, all the other platforms that you've got but can you signpost and we'll put it in the show notes as well where listeners can interact with you if they want to work with you on your aqa creative programs if they want to order the book you know and i would recommend that uh, and we've done that at school as well um and if they want to kind of connect with you where can they find you just go to all the w's kindnessmatters.co.uk and they'll see all the social handles there. i'm very proactive on twitter and instagram um, I did. I did want to share with all your teachers that um, after two years during the lockdown, we're launching the Happy Tank this year, which is um, Key Stage Two, Stroke Three, and it's all around supporting children with their mental health and well-being. It's what we did um, during the lockdown to support children who were really worried, really worried. A lot of primary school kids as well who were very frightened of. Um, everything that was going on and more importantly scared of the sats you know taking exams and stuff so we created and developed a program to teach kids how to be kind to themselves so yeah any any school that wants to speak to me personally all they have to do is go to the website and uh, i look forward to hopefully speaking to them via zoom in their next staffing set or coming in personally and doing a book signing for for their kids for the pupils or students and I'm, I'm digging for an exclusive here, John. But surely there's a there's a sequel coming up. Um, you know, surely Bloomsbury. And I know that Hannah, who's uh, our editor, doesn't talk about her own book. Don't mention it again. Um, listens to the podcast, John. So surely there's there's plenty of material from the last year, eighteen months for a, a kindness matters too. Well, it's funny you say that. Um, we, we're just negotiating a deal with the Happy Tank book, which is going to be massive. 
it's going to be massive. So kindness matters is not signed to Bloomsbury yet. <laughs> um, and there's some other, there's there's lots of books within John McGee. I've got meetings with other authors who want to actually collaborate. Can you believe it? I've got a couple of international best-selling children's authors who are fantastic illustrators that love my my writing, which is fantastic, isn't it? So um, the book's coming out um, next next year. I don't want to say too much, but it is going to be signed to Bloomsbury. Um, my agent's just doing all the all the legal stuff. Neil Neil Bramwell's taking care of all of that. Um, and there is, I can't say what's coming after the Happy Tank. There is there is something in the pipeline, but I just know that the Happy Tank book in itself, it's going to be massive. Honestly, it's, I, I get I'm, I'm out on the road on the twenty eighth of February and delivering the first full day staff training for teachers how to teach the happy tank which is going to be oh, it's going to be mega mate can't wait for it so yeah lots of more books coming which are all going to support all the kids mental health and well-being and um yeah hopefully we'd i'd like to do i would like to do an update of kindness matters because it's changed a lot hasn't it since mm, yeah 2016 2017 yeah amazing and credit to you for being able to do that i mean it's it's nearly finished me off john writing a book i've just got three more chapters now to edit and done so the hook that it's completed, but a year and 60,000 words. That they, and, and look at the state of me. It's taken it out of me this year. So kudos to you and credit to you for being able to get that done. And it is. It's so important to people that those books are out there because I know that what people get from that. The effort is definitely worth yeah, it. Yeah, and same again, Phil. If I can be of service, you know, we're personal friends. Always drop me a, and I'm not saying it because we're on here, always drop me a message. If there's anything, I haven't got all the answers. But, you know, I've been through that process a few times, you know. Um, Wrote three books now, and there's plenty more, Mister McGee. You know, if there's anything I can do, just just ask. You know, if you've got any sorts of questions, just reach out, man. Don't do it by yourself. You're not alone. Much appreciated. Right, John. Thank you so much for your time today. A public apology for taking so long to get round to it, but you know, you are living that kindness matters, aren't you? So you've been so accommodating. Really, really appreciate it. Great to chat, and hopefully, we'll catch up in person fairly soon. Thank you for your kindness, Phil, and uh, thank you all to all the listeners. Snatter, just talking to teachers. Talking to teachers about academic research and evidence based practice with continuing professional development at PNA1977 on Twitter. Nimmer Snatter, just talking to teachers. Nailers Natter the Book Ideas and Advice from the Collective Wisdom of Teachers. Nailers Natter brings together a wealth of advice from the most influential voices in education today. In this exciting one-of-a-kind book, Phil Naylor revisits the very best interviews from three years of education podcasting, drawing on the advice and opinions from some of the world's most innovative educators. Available now for pre-order from Amazon and out on July 7th, 2022.